Welcome to an appropriately named month, one that marks the beginning of meteorological spring in the Northern Hemisphere. That is a phrase I have not known until today, nor did I know that the equinox in three weeks marks the beginning of vernal spring. There is so much to be learned about the world around us, and every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement seeks to bring a little more of it to your attention. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Governor Glenn Youngkin issues his first veto and a roundup of bills that have not passed the General Assembly. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority agrees to issue $23 million in bonds for a California firm to renovate Midway Manor. And an international panel releases new information about the efforts to slow the rise in global temperatures. In today's first Patreon Field shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance wants wildlife and nature photographers to enter their first ever photography contest. They want high-resolution photos related to the Rivanna watershed, and the winning entries will be displayed at the 2022 Riverfest celebration on May 1st. The two categories are 16 and under and those over the age of 17. You can send in two entries, and the work might be used to supplement Rivanna Conservation Alliance publications. For more information about the contest and how to enter, visit rivannariver.org. Arlington County will not be able to appoint an independent auditor to monitor the police department with the same powers as a civilian review board. Governor Glenn Youngkin has vetoed HB 670, which would have granted the Arlington County Board that ability. The measure passed the House of Delegates on a 65-35 to vote and the Senate on a much closer 21-19 to vote. In his veto statement, Youngkin said such a move would grant too much power without appropriate protections for law enforcement officers. He said that such a politically appointed individual would have the power of judge, jury, and executioner without any input from law enforcement officers or delineated qualifications for such an individual, etc. More on the General Assembly later on in this newsletter. A new report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warns that rising global temperatures are causing disruptions for nature and humanity across the planet. A working group of scientists from 195 nations gathered virtually for the past two weeks to review and approve Climate Change 2022, Impacts, Adaptation, and Vulnerability. Here's a statement from the press release for the report. The world faces unavoidable multiple climate hazards over the next two decades, with global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius, or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Even temporarily exceeding this warming level will result in additional severe impacts, some of which will be irreversible. Risks for society will increase, including infrastructure, including to infrastructure and low-lying coastal settlements. The report urges continued work to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and suggests ways this can be done while improving people's lives, but also points out that growing urbanization and social inequality will hasten the problem. The full report is 3,675 pages long, but the technical summary is a bit more manageable at 96 pages. 
I suspect most readers and listeners will opt for the 36-page summary for policymakers. Here's a bit from that summary. This report has a particular focus on transformation and system transitions in energy, land, ocean, coastal, and freshwater ecosystems, urban, rural, and infrastructure, and industry and society. These transitions make possible the adaptation required for high levels of human health and well-being, economic and social resilience, ecosystem health, and planetary health. For more information on what local and state governments are doing to reach their locally decided targets, there are some resources in a link in the newsletter. Yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court heard a case that challenges the power of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You can read a transcript of the argument in a link in the newsletter or listen to the oral arguments. There's also a link to one account of how that went on Bloomberg Law. The Board of Commissioners for the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority has taken the first step toward issuing up to $23 million in bonds for a California-based company to renovate Midway Manor in a way that will keep existing affordable requirements in place. Delphine Carnes is the legal counsel for the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. This is a 98-unit elderly affordable housing development on Ridge Street, uh, very close to the Greyhound Station. And the proposal is to issue some bonds to assist with the financing of a comprehensive renovation of this project. Standard Communities closed on their $16.45 million acquisition of Midway Manor on January 13th. They say that the current affordability levels will be maintained and common spaces and amenities will be upgraded. They're asking the CRHA to issue exempt facility bonds to renovate the 98 units. No new market rate units would be added. The role of the housing authority in this particular project is as a conduit bond issuer. That means the CRHA would not have any obligations for the property, and neither the public housing agency or the city of Charlottesville would be responsible for paying back the bonds. Carnes said there were benefits to issuing the bonds. First, they ensure the continued renovation and redevelopment of affordable units in the city of Charlottesville, which is very complementary to your own mission, but it doesn't cost you a dime. As a matter of fact, it uh, creates some revenue to you because you're receiving a fee for serving as the issuer of these bonds. Carnes did not have a number on hand at the public hearing, but said the funding could be used for any purpose decided by the CRHA. The CRHA's Board of Commissioners will need to approve the project once more after the bond documents have been finalized. Stephen Kahn is a director with Standard Communities. During the public hearing, he acknowledged that many do not know what his company does. We've got about 13,000 units of affordable housing across the country and 19 different states. Uh, this will be our first project in Charlottesville, but hopefully not our last, as uh, we, we see to it that we try to do our business the right way and always get invited back for uh, repeat performances, and we've done that uh, very successfully. Khan called Midway Manor a tremendous asset that has served a population in need of housing and a need for certainty. 
the current affordability requirements are running out. And our intentions with Midway Manor are to uh, take the uh, the federal rental subsidy contract that does expire uh, in a couple of years and renew that for as long as HUD will allow us to do so, which at present is a 20-year uh, contract. They won't go any longer than that. And in partnership, also work with uh, Virginia Housing uh, to receive an allocation of 4% low-income housing tax credits which will allow us in uh, partnership with these bonds to do a very extensive renovation of the property. Khan said the renovations would be expansive with full upgrades of interiors, as well as an energy efficient retrofit of heating and cooling systems and electric systems. The specifics of how renovation will work are not yet available, but Khan said the hope is to not relocate tenants while the work is done over an 18 month period. We've got a tremendous amount of experience doing that. Uh, tens of thousands of units across the country, or several thousand units, north of 10,000 units, completing renovations without displacing residents, uh, even during the renovation process. The executive director of the Public Housing Association of Residents asked for careful consideration before the bonds were issued. Shelby Marie Edwards is that executive director. I've spoken with two resident leaders at Midway Manor, and their desire is to come to an answer as expeditiously as possible about the um, status of the building. To be clear, I know CRHA does not own the building. Um, And if anybody can help them make sure that the units are affordable and that the building is upgraded and becoming of our citizens, they would be grateful for the help. And they're looking for the answer to the question, what's going to happen to the residents? Where are we going to go? Khan said Standard Communities is a high-touch organization when it comes to planning for these projects and that residents would be made sure to know what's going on. He said there will be a kickoff meeting for residents when the project is closer to moving forward. Miscommunication or misinformation uh, spreads very quickly through through communities, and we try to make sure that it's, uh, it's not something that we um, are a part of. Khan said they are hoping to close the sale of the bonds this summer and get started with construction soon afterwards. In the meantime, he said there were a number of issues that standard communities know need to be fixed. There are a lot of things that uh, we became aware of during our due diligence of the property that are uh, that need some attention before then, and we've put those uh, underway. Uh, elevator modernization is one of them. I know there's uh, some concerns with the uh, intercom system at the entryway. The five CRHA commissioners who were present on the virtual meeting voted unanimously to authorize the bond issuance. I'll have more from the CRHA meeting in a future version of the program. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Now it's time for the second subscriber-supported public service announcement. The Charlottesville area tree stewards want to draw your attention to a Virginia Festival of the Book event coming up on March 16th. Michelle Nyhouse will lead a virtual conversation on seeing trees, saving the great forests. Nyhouse will speak with forest scientists and preservationists Meg Lohman and John Reed. Lohman is the author of The Arbornaut, a life discovering the eighth planet in the trees above us. Reed is the co-author of Evergreen, Saving Big Forests to Save the Earth. The event on March 16th begins at noon. To register, visit vabook.org. And thank you to the Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards for bringing that to our attention. One last segment to go today, and it's a lot of bills to go through. The 2022 Virginia General Assembly has just over two weeks left to go, 
and the pattern remains much of the same. Many bills that narrowly passed in one house of the bicameral legislature are now being defeated in committees of the other, a clear sign of divided government. Let's go through some of those today, starting with the Senate. A Senate bill to expand the Education Improvement Scholarships Tax Credit Program was tabled by the House Appropriations Committee. A Senate bill to require local and state government agencies to construct energy-efficient roofs on new public buildings failed to report out of the House General Laws Committee on a 10-12 to vote. A Senate bill to require more disclosure from registered lobbyists was tabled in the General Laws Committee on a 12-9 to vote. Senate Bill 576 would have allowed betting on Virginia college sports, but it was tabled in the House General Laws Committee on an 18-4 to vote. A Senate bill that would have prohibited plastic guns and made their sale or possession a Class 5 felony was tabled in the House Public Safety Committee on a 12-10 to vote. That had passed the Senate on a 22-18 to vote. Now over to the Senate. House Bill 1301 would have directed the Department of Environmental Quality to withdraw from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. This bill passed the House of Delegates on a 52-48 to vote, but was tabled in the Senate Agriculture, Conservation, and Natural Resources Committee on an 8-7 to vote. Another bill that would have watered down the Air Pollution Control Board's requirements for renewable energy had passed the House on a 53-47 to vote, but was passed by indefinitely in the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee on a 9-5 to vote. A bill that would have required parental notification of the use of any sexually explicit materials in public school failed to report from the Senate Education and Health Committee on a 7-8 to vote. A bill to advance Governor Glenn Youngkin's lab school initiative was passed by indefinitely by the Senate Education and Health Committee on a 9-6 to vote. House Bill 539 would have required public colleges and universities to notify would-be students that they could be disqualified by certain criminal convictions. That bill was passed by indefinitely in the Senate Education and Health Committee. Localities would not have been allowed to require contractors to provide certain benefits if House Bill 58 had passed. The Senate General Laws and Technology Committee passed this by indefinitely on an 8-7 vote. Virginia's Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion will retain that name. HB 1300 would have required the renaming to Director of Diversity, Opportunity, and Inclusion was passed by indefinitely on a 8-7 vote. Currently, law enforcement officers who are in a community with a police civilian review board are subject to a different interpretation of the Law Enforcement Officers Procedural Guarantee Act. HB 70 would have changed that, and the Senate Judiciary Committee passed that by indefinitely on a 9-6 to vote. Law enforcement officers will continue to not be allowed to stop motorists for minor infractions, House Bill 79 would have removed those provisions that were passed by a Democrat-led General Assembly, and this passed the Republican-run House of Delegates on a 52-45 to vote. However, the Democrat-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee passed this by indefinitely on a 9-6 to vote. Currently, if you have a firearm stolen from you, you must report that to a law enforcement agency. House Bill 325 would have dropped that requirement, and the Senate Judiciary Committee passed that by on an 8-7 vote. Other House bills related to firearms were also defeated. 
One would have repealed a recently passed law that allows firearms to be removed from the possession of people deemed to be a risk. Localities will continue to be able to prohibit firearms in public places. Elections matter. And that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for March 1st, 2022. Today, it is spring and I saw blossoms of Bradford pear. There are buds on the dogwood trees. There are crocuses coming up and I have to go get my allergy medication and I got to figure out ways to get this house cleaner. But none of that is important to you. It is important to me, of course. And what's also important is that I will get together soon to put together another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for reading. I know that if you're listening to this, you're not hearing me. Thank you. But uh, maybe you could, you know, if you're listening to this, think about it for somebody else too. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, a program that seeks to be produced as often as possible. You can help support that in multiple different ways. Today, I'm just going to simply say, please share this with somebody else. Um, There's a lot of information in here, and perhaps they will learn from it. Perhaps you've learned from it. If not, do drop me a line. Let me know anything that you would like to. I am Sean Tubbs, your host, and I can just simply say, stay safe. Goodbye, and see you tomorrow.